You've heard me talk about Tacovas, the company carrying on all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. Well, longtime listener Jeremy emailed me to say, Zabe, I was on a work trip to Austin, knew about Tacovas from the podcast, stopped into the store. Next thing you know, I've got a damn good pair of boots and I'm looking sharp with a nice buzz to boot. Giddy up. Tacovas believes in Western for all. And you can feel that when you stop in one of their stores and get custom fitted for a new pair of boots. If you can't make it into the store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and the most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com and point your toes west. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovas has said they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 at Tacovas.com. Just use promo code ZABE, that's promo code Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at checkout. It's a $30 value, and they sell out fast. Only at Tacovas.com. Just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come lately's. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules. You name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money, but if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, Fine, you can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today. This is the ZABEcast. From the mean streets of McLean, Virginia, to the Harvard of the West, UC Santa Barbara. You got 30 minutes for some honest conversation about sports, life, and more? Well, good. Buckle up and let's go. Normally, I don't watch Dateline NBC or those type of shows. I'm not against them. I will enjoy them when I get hooked in, but I'm not like usually seeking them out. These mystery shows. What happened to Samantha Jones or whoever it is that died a horrible death? But this is a real life one that has me saying, hmm. Actually, the Dateline NBCs are also real life, but this is a sports one that maybe you've heard of. I kind of think you should have heard of it by now. It's been over a week plus. But if not, buckle up. Three Chiefs fans freeze to death outside friend's house following watch party. 
This was after the Dolphins game, the first round of the playoffs, in which the weather got really, really cold in Kansas City, single digits. And when I first saw the headline, I'm like, ah, three crackheads went outside, passed out, died in the cold. Idiots. But wait, there's a lot more to the story. One of the friends stayed inside. Another one of the friends left on his own. Five friends, three dead outside, one survived, and the police have not arrested anybody because they don't think it's a homicide, at least not at this time. Oh, and by the way, these were not a bunch of crackheads. These were all 30-year-old men who looked like, "Eh, you know what, they got something going on in life, including the guy who survived. He is... um, A scientist. Hmm. We'll let CBS News pick it up from here. The mysterious deaths of three men who went to watch a football game and never came home. Ricky Johnson, Clayton McGinney, and David Harrington were found dead outside a friend's home in Kansas City on January 9th, two days after the men gathered there to watch the Chiefs' regular season finale. Michael George is here with the latest on the case. Good morning, Michael. Michelle, good morning. I spoke with the brother of one of the men, Ricky Johnson. He says all the family wants is answers. How could three friends end up dead, their bodies outside frozen, after going to a football watch party? Now, one thing the family is sure of, they don't buy the story of the man who hosted the party. And that is how it's going to end here in Los Angeles. It was January 7th. The Kansas City Chiefs eked out a close win against the Chargers in balmy Los Angeles. But back in... Oh, actually, it was even earlier than the uh, the Dolphins game. My bad. Kansas City, it was in the low 30s, with blizzard conditions in the forecast. Three longtime friends, Ricky Johnson, Clayton McGinney, and David Harrington, watched the game at a friend's house. But after the party, all three friends went missing. Two days later, police say a fiancé of one of the men came to the house looking for answers and found a body in the backyard. Officers discovered two more. The co- Talk about a classic, hey, Phil, check your yard. The cause of death is still unknown. It's an inside Investigators joke. say there were no obvious signs of foul play. We deserve answers. Jonathan Price is the brother of Ricky Johnson. What do you think happened that night? The only thing I know for a fact is... Um, I don't accept that my brother just froze to death. There has to be something else involved, Um, whether it's drugs or something else, I have no idea. Family members have questions for Jordan Willis, the man who hosted the party. Police say he has cooperated with the investigation. Jordan had absolutely nothing to do with the deaths of his three friends. Through his attorney, Willis claims he had no idea the three bodies were in his backyard for two days. He says he thought his friends left his house that night. In the early morning hours, Jordan, around 2 a.m., he believes, uh, he got sleepy. He said, I'm going to crash on the couch. Uh, and he said goodbye to his buddies, and he thought that they left out the front door. The attorney says Willis didn't respond to family members' attempts to reach him because he was asleep. I know that his story does not add up, and I know that he's not telling the truth in some way or fashion. Price says his brother Ricky was a loving father to three young girls. He's always been a role model to me, you know, someone I admired. For the families, the hardest part is having no explanation why their loved ones are gone. How are you supposed to heal from something that you don't even know what happened? 
And those answers may have to wait until the results of the autopsies are finished. Now, look, it was cold that night, around 34 degrees, but something doesn't add up here. These guys weren't in the woods or on a right. mountain. They were in someone's backyard. So the family still has a lot of questions about this. Do we have any idea how long the autopsy until we'll know some of those answers? We're hearing about another week, week and a half, but that's a long wait for these families. Yeah. Well, wow. They said at this initially, at least, no signs of foul play. Right, but right. All right, Michael. We don't know. Mm, okay, let's put on our detective hats, shall we? They didn't mention in this news report that the one friend who fell asleep on the couch for two days, that's the biggest red flag right there. Who can sleep for two days? And to say, well, I had headphones or earplugs in, and I sleep with a loud fan. That was something else he told investigators early on. Really? Two a days. Right. Drugs, of course, is the first thing you think of, if it's true that there was no obvious signs of foul play. But at the same time, I wonder, let's say the three guys went out to go take a drug of some sort, something exotic, and it ends up knocking them all out, boom, instantaneously. Without one of the guys feeling weird and going, oh, oh my God, what's going on? Ricky, why are you on the ground like that? And then pounding on the door to have to alert the other friend who was in the house. That doesn't add up. So the two days, the fact that it would be hard for three men healthy in their 30s to all three be completely incapacitated to then freeze to death, including not being able to go out to their vehicles, which were parked out in front, also interesting that, you know, there are three men in their 30s and only one had a fiancé who, after two full days, decided, hey, maybe I should go find out where this deadbeat is if I'm going to marry him. What the fuck is going on here? If any of them were married, this would have not lasted more than two hours, much less two days. Where are you? You coming home tonight or not? So that is a little bit interesting. But the one guy who's not a suspect at this time, apparently is a high-level scientist at a lab in Kansas City. So he is not a dummy. What happened? That's a great question. And I guess we're going to find out more when the toxicology report comes out. There are wild conspiracy theories, and, and just theory theories, not conspiracies, just that one of them is the men must have seen something that they weren't supposed to see. And that was when the longtime friend decided, I have to kill them. But here's the wrinkle in that. You got to be a real sociopath to be willing to kill three of your friends. And you got to be sure that it's going to actually work. And you got to make sure that you don't leave anything behind. There was a fifth friend who also went home who did not freeze to death. So did he see the thing he was not supposed to see? The house was also rented, apparently, not owned. So therefore, let's say, wild theory, run amok, that this scientist was conducting some sort of, who knows, an anthrax lab at the behest of the government, but they don't want to you know, claim it themselves. Like, you just do this on the side. Would you really do it inside a rented house where you don't have as much control over, hey, don't go in the basement. Don't go in the basement. That's where I'm cooking up my anthrax.
I don't know. This is the MH370 story, but on a sports-related smaller scale. And why does this shit keep happening to the Chiefs? Just like uh, Chiefs fanatic, the bank robber who would wear the mascot suit, the wolf. I think that's what his name was. Chiefs fanatic caught, is it? Uh, super fan, uh, Xavier Michael Bubadar, uh, Chiefaholic. That's who it was. Chiefaholic arrested, charged with low level bank robbery throughout multiple states. Not a big bank robber, but a low level bank robber. What's going to happen to this? What is your best theory? I'm all ears. I love a good mystery. This is a good mystery, except for the families who are, of course, grieving. We'll see how juicy it gets from here on out. All right, to some emails. You may have heard we got right into the podcast today, just like yesterday. None of that teaser stuff to start the podcast with the rewind sound effect and then a clip from a future part of the podcast to kind of hook you in. It's because of this email from one Tyler Evans. You can always reach me at zabe at yahoo.com. Tyler writes, teaser is very grease monkey. Huh? Zabe, longtime lister, an Alecoin owner. Oh, he's a one true one percenter. I've mainly enjoyed your shows online since finding you when a local station carrying your sporting news SB Nation show was on. While I understand your obsession with sound quality and listeners, uh, sound quality to the degree that listeners can't even hear the difference, that teaser at the beginning of the show, unbearable. First, the rewind slash fast forward sound itself is obnoxious, even when not wearing headphones. It is far more objectionable than the sound quality you are so concerned about. Second, it's unnecessary since I'm already here to listen to you. It's just more crap I need to skip over. That's a fair point now that I think about it. It adds no value to the show since nobody has decided to either listen or not listen Based on the teaser, it is a relic of radio. Just as in Seinfeld, Putty had to stop high-fiving when he moved into sales, it's time to leave the teaser behind with radio. In this sense, the teaser is very grease monkey. I don't know that term, by the way. Someone fill me in. Grease monkey. I'm sure if other listeners were asked if the teaser is unnecessary, the result would be a resounding David Putty-esque. Yeah, that's right. Feels like an Arby night. Arby's night. Sincerely, Tyler. You know what, Tyler? You make a very fair point that I think is probably the correct one. I went to the teaser format out of laziness because in production of the podcast, I would have to write, and I know it doesn't sound like much, but I would have to write a 24-second little today on the Zabecast. Mr. X tells us why his theory about always betting the dogs on the road makes no sense to the average person. Also, we'll get into the latest when it comes. You might not think that's a lot, but it was just an extra little bit of stickiness in the production cycle of the podcast that I said, do I really need to do this? And I would kind of struggle with it at times. It was an extra 10 minutes. So I said, let's get rid of that. Let's just do something where I can do quick cut paste. But maybe I don't need it. Maybe this format, when you listen to a podcast, you're already in. It's sort of like the descriptions of 
the podcast itself. What am I talking about? That will affect your decision. Ooh, he is talking about the games last night. Let me punch on in and take a listen. I get that, but I'm I'm coming around to the notion of the quicker, the better. I know I'm this way when it comes to YouTube videos. I, I hate it that so many YouTubers say, how's it going, everybody? I'm so-and-so. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> get to it. Today, I'm going to talk about the benefits of the Sony a7 III uh, camera system when it comes to using a long prime lens like the 80 millimeter prime. Bro, I, I'm, I know all that. I looked at the title. I clicked play. Let's just get into it here. I do try to, and this is something that I've learned in radio, I try to, as I call it, come back with value. Coming out of breaks, I always try to, you know, music's playing. I come right out and I'll give people some content, such as, well, looks like the commanders got their man as head coach, Ben Johnson, to be announced tomorrow for Washington. By the way, I don't know if that's the case or not. It's Monday afternoon. I've not seen any word if that's official, but you get my point. Instead of coming back, welcome back. It's Saban Butch in the morning on 97.3 the game. It's hour number two. I try to front it with content or value for the listener. And maybe I should do that with this podcast. Hell, maybe I should do away with the music and the intro and the Tony Romo. Maybe that's repetitive. I'll just start talking. I'll sit down, hit record and go, okay, everybody. Hi, how you doing? I bet there are podcasts like that. And I bet some of them do very, very well. Just talk. We came here to listen to you talk. So yeah. Thank you for that. I don't know what Grease Monkey is, but I'm going to learn, I'm sure, pretty soon. Uh, this one from Scott Smith. Zabe, great fucking solo run on the podcast last week. I love it. Need more of it. Your sport to sport adjacent stories, or your sport and sport adjacent stories is what first drew me in to you when you were on with Bob and Brian. Anyway, just wanted to pass that along. Second, in the podcast, you brought up Jared Goff's weekly radio hit. After a quick Google search on about the radio show he was on, it appears as though the radio station he is on in Detroit is the equivalent of what 97.3 The Game is in Milwaukee. So it made me think about the times you have low-key griped about 97.3 The Game's seemingly lack of access to the Packers. And being the flagship, and you being the biggest show on the station, how is it you don't have Matt LaFleur or Jordan Love on each and every week. Is it just money, or is it the individuals not wanting to do it? Not sure you'd want to address this on the podcast, but it's an awesome inside baseball topic that I would love to hear more about. Well, you've come for the inside baseball. I'm going to give you the inside baseball. None of these entities, coaches or players, are required to do radio hits. They do them for money. And the amount of money they're paid varies greatly depending on the market size, station, stature of the coach, etc. The stations will negotiate with the coach or player's agent, which is usually a separate agent that doesn't handle the contract of that coach or player with the teams and the NFL itself, what is usually called a marketing agent. They'll negotiate with the marketing agent on a fee. And the fee may be... I'm spitballing crazy numbers. I'd imagine if you're a really, really successful coach in a 
very big market and or prestige team, you could get close to maybe, dare I say, 10 grand an episode. No, that's too much. A couple of grand, let's put it that way. A couple of grand per pop once a week times 17, let's say it's three, you know, 45, 50, 60,000 dollars. I mean, that's a nice salary for a lot of people. And the coaches would get that on top as an extra layer of cheese. The coach certainly doesn't really need the money, but they may like the money. And they may like if they have a show that they particularly trust or they like, they might enjoy the ability to kind of get out some other info informally into the ecosystem to help explain what happened the previous week or what they're trying to do to kind of spin things in their direction. I've been told Matt LaFleur is not interested in doing radio once a week. Or if he is interested, the zeros have not piled up to a high enough figure. I know very little about this. It's just what I've kind of heard through whispers and echoes. I do wish we would have more Packers on the station as the flagship. But again, they're not required to do so. And the Green Bay Packers are an interesting case in the NFL. They are a Tiffany franchise. They are an absolute crown jewel sports brand known worldwide now. Since Favre and Reggie and Holmgren came and they started winning and they won a Super Bowl with Favre, they won another one with Rodgers, and they did all the upgrades to Lambeau Field, it's a Tiffany brand known worldwide. People come from all over to the far reaches of northern, well, not northern, but central eastern Wisconsin to see Lambeau Field and to visit. I have met a number of these fans over the course of going to games. The Packers draw their fans from all throughout the state. Yes, there is a big chunk that comes up from Milwaukee, but they also come from Madison and Appleton and parts unknown in Wisconsin that if you're not from there, you wouldn't even know the towns. It's amazing to me as I've learned going to games is that the franchise sucks fans that go to the games just out of the fibers of like a giant sponge that is the state of Wisconsin. And they come from their farms and their factories and their businesses from all over. And they cheer on the Packers like their dad did, like their daddy's dad did, and their third generation, their season ticket holders, and they carry the fucking G proudly. That's a beautiful thing. Except not so much for us because they kind of don't need us. (laughs) I mean, kind of. It wouldn't hurt. Like, if we had Packer players on or LaFleur – We'd treat them right. We wouldn't do them dirty. We would humanize them. It would be really, really good. But if you don't really need it, and if not, that has not been their MO, then they're probably not going to be as amenable to doing it. But the biggest thing is they don't have to worry about selling tickets. And they've been winning. And winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. Not in the playoffs, I understand that. But in terms of season to season, winning season, when you, when you have all that, you don't worry so much. You know, the Vikings, they are broadcast by our company's uh, station up there, KFAN, iHeart Station, and there is a much tighter integration between the station and the team. But it's due in part because, A, 
They draw more from Minneapolis-St. Paul from a tighter circle, not quite as much from around the state as the Packers do. And secondly, they need it. They had a new stadium come on board. They had to get people to you know buy tickets and suites and everything else. And they haven't won. So yeah, it makes sense. But we're trying to change that. We're trying to gently... You know, pull them along by the hand and go, look, you know, give us a guy. We'll, we'll gladly have him. But we'll see. I don't know what Jordan Love would do or wants to do or needs to do. His next contract from the Packers is going to be, oh, it's going to be huge. Because the price of quarterbacking is not going down in the NFL. Last note from Scott, he says, the inside bit you said on Monday on the show about your offer to Bob and Brian to match your offer was great. Yeah, I told the stories. Oh, yeah, it was when talking about Doc Rivers leaving. I said, well, maybe it's taken so long because he hasn't told ESPN yet, and he's 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 nervous about doing it. He feels like, oh, shit, I got to tell him. This sucks. Somebody clapped me. Fair play to them, although it was a, it was a bit of a clap on the talking text line saying, like, yeah, when you didn't tell Bob and Brian. Well, I then revealed. I go, well, look, here's what happened. So I get the bona fide offer in writing from iHeart to come over to 97.3 The Game to do a show in the mornings. Okay. I was required by my contract to show my hand, flip the cards, present it to the old station and say, here, because in my deal, they had a right to match. Now, it was such a significant change in duties from going from being a 35 to 40-minute part-time uh, independent contractor on Bob and Brian's show to then being the host of my own show that it was never going to be in the card. They were never going to be like, oh yeah, we can match that. You're staying. It just, it just wasn't. But they sat on it for seven days max. That wasn't Bob and Brian's choice. That was station management's choice. But I had to be quiet. I couldn't say anything about it. I couldn't even reach out to them because my agent said, look, anything you say about this could queer the deal, could put you in legal jeopardy. You have to go completely underground. And I did. And that sucked. They didn't like that. But that's the business right there. What are you going to do? Anyway, keep up the great work. You're the best. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. Uh, Kevin Konopaki. Good morning, Steve. Longtime listener. And your amazing podcast. Okay, I like what I'm hearing. I wrote to you once before praising you for your solo NFL Monday morning wrap-ups. Please keep that format on the starting roster. In fact, I love listening to you so much that I just this morning subscribed to your premium content. Ding, ding, ding. I figured once less, one less cocktail a month when going out to dinner is well worth the money to subscribe to your pod. Well, thank you. I, I totally agree, by the way. Now getting to the subject line of my email. Quality control. Oh, boy. Quality control, constructive criticism. He talks about the Romo situation. We're going to skip over that. Imagine, though, writes Kevin when he says, my shock when Church referred to the play of Dave Casper and the Oakland Raiders as the Holy Roller, saying it was against his Vikings, and you agreed with it and went along. No, 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 no. The famous play was the Raiders against the Chargers on September 10th of 1978. In my bones, I knew he was wrong, but you go fast on these. You don't have the time to go, wait, wait, hold on a second. Are you sure that was against the Vikings? I should have stopped him right there. I kind of knew it 
as a kid because as 10-year-old El Baldo, then with a shock of beautiful brown tufty hair, I was a huge Charger fan because that, you know, they became my afternoon NBC, you know, uh, Charlie, Charlie Jones calling the games, sort of NFL Gumar. So I love the Chargers. I love the helmets. I drew the bolts on the helmets. Ten-year-old Steven just ate up all things Air Coryell and the Chargers. And I remember watching that game. And, of course, it was at the old uh, <clears throat> at the old stadium down there. I'm trying to remember the name. And it had the baseball diamond because it was in September. Padres played there as well. The Murph. Frank Murphy Stadium. Jack Murphy. Frank Murphy. Jack Murphy. It's at the Murph. They got the football stadium. There's dust on the field. And the Raiders are about to lose. Fuck the Raiders. I'm a Charger fan. And then Dave Casper decides, ooh, watch this. Starting with Stabler. Just throw it underhand. Like, whoa, I fumbled. Casper then is batting it along, kicking it along. Ends up in the end zone. Touchdown, Raiders. Holy shit. I'm so I'm 10-year-old angry. Like, that's not fair. <laughs> anyway. That, I knew when my bones was it, but it didn't stop charge, and I apologize for that. Oh, and he says the Vikings lost the stupid NFC Championship game against the Saints, not because of, the, of Bounty Gate, which was indeed horrible, but because Brett Favre's stupid decision to throw the ball into triple coverage instead of running for more yardage to set up a field goal opportunity to win the game. Paul Allen's classic call that play sums it up really well. I bring these points up because I care and want to set the record straight on two important rule changes and events in NFL history. I do, of course, do this as a good-natured ribbing to two guys I enjoy and love listening to. In fact, your retelling of your New Year's weekend with charge for the Packers and Vikings game was, to steal a word you use so much and so well, glorious. Thanks again for making this diehard listener's morning. Power walks and vacation road trips even sweeter by having the opportunity to listen to your glorious podcast. Thank you, my friend, and have a great weekend. Yes, indeed. One of many mistakes, which I probably need to do a better job at you know looping back and mopping things up. Like... Yesterday, I said David Montgomery fumbled. It was Jameer Gibbs, the fumble that really broke the Lions back. Al Mazika emails to say two things, Steve. Number one, the fumble through the end zone rule. Hell yes, defenses surrender 30, 40, 50-yard penalties on the BSPI spot foul rule. There is no offensive foul that approaches that kind of yardage. There needs to be at least one thing that tilts in favor of the D. I agree. Uh, Point B. He goes, two things, one and B. I love that. Message for Mr. X. Nobody got fewer roughing the passer calls this season than Justin Fields. I know he said, you know, Lamar Jackson hardly ever got any roughing the passer calls. Guess how many Justin Fields roughing the passer calls he got this year? Take a wild guess. Oh, did you guess an integer larger than zero? Congratulations. You lost. That's right. Justin Fields got not a single roughing the passer call this season. Anyhow, thank you, Albert, in Tucson, Arizona, for chiming in. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will talk to my friend Gil Alexander of Beating the Book podcast, V-CIN in Vegas. We'll get his scoop on the Super Bowl, not only on the field when they finally kick it off between the Chiefs and the Niners, but also how will the city hold up for the big event? They've had a lot of practice, but how will it be 
And you can't, I can't wait to tell you where the media is being housed. Thank God I no longer go to this rodeo every year. You're listening to the Zabecast. Just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. A-G. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come latelys. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules, you name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money. But if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, Fine, you can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today. If 2024 is the year you're jetting off to a new country, or even just want to expand your language skills beyond English, then I urge you to check out Rosetta Stone today. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program for over 30 years. Why? Because it works. Instead of drilling vocabulary words, with Rosetta Stone you learn by matching audio, from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills that fast-track your ability to communicate fluently. Not only is it a more effective way to learn, it's more fun. Rosetta Stone's advanced voice recognition technology gives you feedback on how well you pronounce words. Other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said. Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages with lessons available on your computer, phone, or tablet. And with a lifetime membership, you get forever access to all the lessons for all the languages and never pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, ZabeCast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bright light said it gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. You know, I started listening to this entire song and all the lyrics beyond just this hook. And I was like, wow, I've never listened to all the different lyrics on it. It's pretty interesting, but you know, here we go. Well, I almost walked it up right up to it. Here we go. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. And now I bring on Mr. Las Vegas, my friend Gil Alexander, host of A Numbers Game on VSIN in Vegas, available on YouTube TV, iHeartRadio, DraftKings Network. Show airs from 10 a.m. to 12 noon Eastern time. He also does a podcast called Beating the Book, available wherever you get your podcasts. Mr. Alexander, how you doing, buddy? Mr. Zabin, I'm doing very well. How are you? Have you ever listened to this whole song all the way through? I'm going to say no. I don't think Elvis wrote this, but he performed it for sure. So it's one of those songs. He really gets it at the end there, doesn't he? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. So um, I almost went O for Vegas in 2023. And it's a damn shame because I love visiting the city at least once a year. Twice, maybe, Gil, is more than I need. But I'll do it sometimes. I know people that like to go and visit three, four, five times a year, and that's fine, right? Everyone does Vegas the way they want. But I had always had my Subway sandwich card punched every year, one trip to Vegas. Last year, my only trip was during the worst week in sports, the Pro Bowl Games Week. In other words, this week that we're in right now, and the the station put me and my colleagues up in the Luxor, which uh, just so happens to be the uh, official media hotel for Super Bowl 58. I can say with great confidence, I am so happy that our company has no budget to send anyone to the Super Bowl this year. What a uh, dump. That would suck. Yeah. Ugh. It's not well, you know, good. There's two things. You don't want to be that radio guy that complains about, oh, the distance between the hotel and Radio Row. It's, you know, really unrelatable commentary. Mm, right. Um, but, yeah, that you don't want that to be the hotel. Yeah. It was uh, It was a rough four days. Not even four. I think it's like three days. I, I joke to my friends. I go, the Luxor broke me. I really had such a <laughs> miserable stay there. And it was a bad week. That's the other thing. It's a bad week. Week now, you having lived in Vegas for how long? Uh, seven years now. Is what is the worst week in Vegas for a sports fan? F one, I can now confidently <laughs> say. Right, last we visited with Gil, he was getting uh, completely robbed at gunpoint in his own apartment building to sit on the rooftop and watch cars go for like four hundred bucks or something. 
Uh, it was, you know, it depends what you wanted. Did you want the $150 standing room or the $300 in the gym? <laughs> okay. So, so F1 was a bad weekend. Bad everything. Six months of construction. I mean, that ruined our lives. Right. You know, so that, that by far is the worst, but, but listen, the, the trifecta of F1 New Year's Eve Super Bowl. And I know there's a lot of people listening probably be like, oh, cry me a river. No, it, it sucks. It kind of sucks. Yeah, well, and of course, it's going to be back again in the spring and back again in the spring. Or not in the spring. It's going to be back again in the fall, I guess. But oh, they, may, they may still have some construction to do. I, I, I wish you guys the best. It, it seems like it was a giant pain in the ass. But, man, the big events to Vegas keep on coming. And now we got the biggest one of all, the Super Bowl. How do you think the city will handle it? Uh, the city will handle it okay. Um, I do think that, you know, I, I think the in I think a lot of people leave Friday. I think that's the people that that's the thing that people don't understand about the Super Bowl is that the media frenzy does kind of disappear before the game itself, and so that lends a little bit of respite to it. Um, usually, if you're on Radio Row Friday morning, everybody's already taking flights back home. So it's only a small percentage that stays for the game. Um, so it'll probably be okay, you know, and the the stadium is situated that it's, you know, in close proximity to the strip, although not right on top of the strip. So it's it's really well done there at a stadium. It's a fine venue. I think it'll be okay. I think F1's the anomaly. All right. How much will casinos and places try to gouge? As bad uh, as F1? Worse. Not quite as uh, bad. Boy, that's a good question. I mean, it's it'll be bad. You know, we have, I don't know if you've, are you familiar with the Fountain Blue saga going oh. on here? Oh, let me tell you, Gil, I have hooked into at least three or four different Vegas influencer accounts on social media, Twitter uh -oh. and TikTok, and I eat that stuff up. I live vicariously all the way from the East Coast, and so I've followed Nacho Gate in all of its glory <laughs> at the oh, Fountain Blue. It's fantastic. Yeah. The influencers have been all over this, so you you know it. I mean, for those who don't, the, the Fountain Blue, which is known for its very legendary Miami property, they have had this casino uh, under construction for what seems like 20 years here in Las Vegas. Actually, it has been 20 years. Literally 20, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's at what we – it's built, for those who are mildly familiar with Vegas and the Strip, the Strip is generally considered to be – the north end is – is Resorts World in the Wynn, the south end is Mandalay Bay. So when you go further north of the Wynn, and we'll, we'll count Resorts World on the other side now, that is considered a sort of no man's land. <laughs> right. The, the strip is basically a dogleg par four. Correct. And dog leg right. Yeah, dog leg right. And right at the heart of the dog leg is a lot of really good, sexy, attractive properties. But then you start getting around the corner of that. By the time you get to where the green would be, I guess the green would be like downtown Vegas, but everything from the dog leg to the green starts getting sketchier and sketchier. And that's where Fountain Blue is. Yeah. And so to answer your your question, like let's take a let's take a prime restaurant in the middle of the strip, like Carbone at Aria. Great Italian restaurant known for its New York and Miami properties. But they have a Las Vegas one. It's a, one of the great restaurants in town. Thursday, February eighth. We can all go dine there like normal human beings. Friday, Saturday, Sunday of Super Bowl weekend, minimum $300 a person. Right. Not a table. 
example, a person. person. So that's yeah, that's normal for like a big deal on a on a Super Bowl weekend. But a place like the Fountain Blue, which just landed here a second ago, <laughs> they decided that it would be okay to full court press everybody from day one. And that ain't how this works. Like you really have to establish yourself as a, you know, player friendly property before you start trying to get, you know, frisky with your prices. Not them. They showed up and on week 18 of the NFL season, week 18, right? Like where half the games are exhibitions. Correct. They're charging. I want to get this right. I don't want to botch this, but it's thousands of dollars for a table. And I think a minimum, you know, food price that is that you could never hope to achieve unless you right. drink like a fish. Right. So this is this is where it gets a little nuts, and you got to know where to go and where not to go. Yeah, I've uh, the Fountain Blue thing is fascinating. The executives in the C suite there with the company are dropping like soldiers on Omaha Beach. It's crazy, <laughs> one after another. <laughs> The Nacho yes. Gate thing blew up because somebody tweeted a picture going, I just ordered nachos here, waited an hour. This is what I got for $26, and it was literally six chips. Yes, was it garnished artfully? Sort of. And people roasted it, saying, this is absolute greed. Then there was the pushback going, no, 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 Like that's that wasn't a real photo. But then somebody tweeted a video of another foodie influencer in Vegas who was reviewing their food weeks ago and he showed the six chip nacho dish and said well okay this is how they interpret it and uh, Fountain Blue had to then rally and go look we we were trying to do bar food that you like but all grown up in a different way and we missed the mark on that so guess what we're adding more nachos but it took <laughs> Twitter and it took people roasting them to, to finally get them to trim things up. I understand that the Fountain Blue also refused to so-called tier match other guests, yes. meaning if you are normally a gambler at Caesars and you're in one of the top tiers or whatever, that if you took your action over to Fountain Blue, they would match their kind of amenities, free room, show, food. They're like, no, nah, we're not doing that. You have to build up your own points with us. And many people were like, that's crazy. Nobody do does that. How are you ever going to get anyone to come there and gamble? That's right. You got to ingratiate yourself to this community. And they did whatever the opposite of that is, is what they did. And oh, by the way, um, also an hour sometimes to leave the parking lot. Which is, it's like a hostage situation in your car. And then the real thing is the whole casino has the ambiance of like a airport circa 1973. Oh, so really? Put all that so in So it's mix. not very charming. Yeah. No. Well, and then, of course, the other big thing that me and my Vegas buddies are buzzing about is that they're going to finally, allegedly, tear down the iconic Mirage, which is the casino that changed it all in terms of what Vegas was perceived to be. And it's going to be the new Hard Rock where they're going to build this cool-ass guitar-looking tower. I've seen the renderings. It looks beautiful. But now at the last minute, they're talking about maybe knocking down the Treasure Island building and building the guitar over there and then keeping the volcano and refurbing the Mirage into like Mirage 2.0, which I'd be in favor of, but I'm not counting on it. Well, so this is this you're, that's breaking news also because you're right. The initial 
renderings of this were the you know right now what's the most iconic thing in the strip one would argue the bellagio bellagio fountains eiffel tower right across the street whatever it is but this guitar based on the renderings was going to no question be the most iconic thing on the strip the way that they had it but by the way little little background also on the mirage for those of us who spent a lot of time on the east coast or grew up on the east coast you may have noticed that the East Coast was kind of a mirage crowd, <laughs> and that Mandalay Bay was kind of the West Coast crowd. Really? And there's, a, and there's a reason for that, because before they were both under the MGM umbrella, which they were for much of the most recent decade, they were independent places that marketed to that side of the country, respectively. Oh. So all of my DC friends, like for whatever reason, they were all mirage people, and that's the reason why. And West Coast people were more of a Mandalay crowd. Now you have it, as you pointed out. By the way, for those who don't know, Mirage um, is going to be what, – what you're saying is the old hard rock, which was sort of the iconic hard rock for 20-somethings in the 90s and in the early parts of the 2000s. That is now a virgin property. Also, not quite as bad as the Fountain Blue opening, but when they opened it, it opened with the uh, excitement of a doorknob. It was just <laughs> awful there, too. Yeah. And now the Hard Rock is moving into the Mirage place, which is the big uh, high-rise there that exists. Yeah, so it, it should be fascinating. It's always changing. Here. We uh, we knew and loved the Hard Rock, the old Hard Rock, well, because we had several Zay Vegases there. Yes. And it was a hopping, happening place, even though it was off-strip. And the hotel itself wasn't shaped like a guitar, but they had a big old, you know, hard rock fake guitar, you know, punching out of the middle of the casino. And it was a cool place to be. I went there with my father a couple summers ago as it had been taken over by the new company, Virgin, and it was dismal and frankly depressing. And I walked around going, we had the best time here several marches ago, even when I lost $1,000 because Nick fucking Stauskas from Michigan couldn't hit one free throw. It cost me a grand. <laughs> <laughs> that, what you're saying about the hard rock, I don't, this sounds so corny for those. I mean, because I know not, maybe not everybody. That old hard rock with the circle bar in yes. the middle dipped underground. Yes. It, it was teeming with celebrities, right? It was just this moment in time. The, the lagoon in the back was standing room only. I'd be high-fiving a Mecca Okafor, for God's sakes, a couple times there. You know, yeah. Just to use a random person. But you're right. What they did to that property was malpractice. And you're right. I can't spend more than three minutes in it at a time because all those memories come flushing in, and you realize they just put lipstick on a pig. They ruin the lagoon in the back. It's just awful now. Yeah. Well, we we did our uh, little get-together at their bar called the Ainsworth, which was a lovely bar inside with a lot of big oh, TVs, of yeah. uh, oak like wooden paneling. It was very cozy, very nice, and it was a great time. And that kind of went away. And, of course, we used to do Zay Vegas at the Palazzo at uh, uh, the sports book there, which uh, was uh, Emerald Lagasse's restaurant, some outrageously oh, good food. Lagasse yeah. Stadium was an outstanding place. That closed down. So, you know, a lot of it has hurt my heart, Gil, but, you know, the, the tide comes in, the tide goes out, and yes. that's the way of the world. So uh, we'll see what happens to the city. Let's talk some football. The Chiefs have opened as two-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Niners, and I think of, in ringing in my head, the line from the great TV show The Incredible Hulk, don't make him mad, you wouldn't like him. When he's mad. 
<laughs> don't make Mahomes, don't make Mahomes and the Chiefs mad. Oh shit! You just did it by making them the underdogs. I don't understand why they're dogs. Talk to me. Well, it was quickly bet. The Chiefs quickly took money. So from minus two and a half, literally within fifteen to twenty minutes, right after the Niners game last night, it got to one. Whoa! So right now it's Niners minus one everywhere. Wow! It moved a point and a half in half a day. I didn't even know that. Oh, in less than half a day. I mean, literally within the hour after it was posted, like it was down to a point. You could see it like a Christmas tree on your. <laughs> So, so that represents a pretty significant and kind of rare mistake, doesn't it, by those that set the numbers? They shouldn't move that much, should they? They shouldn't, though we're not – I mean, on the one hand, no. On the other hand, we're not going through any key number there either, right? We're just going from two and a half to one. Sure. But, yeah, you're right. To move a point and a half in general is odd. I thought it was an odd number to begin with because the look-ahead line last week – was Niners minus a half, minus one and a half, pardon me. So split the difference between the three and a pick em, and you had it Niners minus one and a half. So for them to sort of overreact to the Niners' dramatic comeback and make it two and a half did seem a little odd, and that quickly went away. For I mean, and you, you characterize it well. I mean, like, you want to bet against Patrick Mahomes? I mean, no, I don't. Two and a half? Ever. Not now, not until he really starts to suck. And that's just how it's going to be. He's just so damn good. What were your thoughts on the two games? Let's start with the Ravens-Chiefs game. Uh, A lot of people are now chronicling just how bad Todd Munkin's rush totals were for a team that was leading the league in rushing against a rush defense that was supposedly the weak part of the Chiefs' defensive side of the ball. Well, I mean, that's that's the headline, right? The, the Buffalo Bills had 39 carries last week against the Chiefs wow. and gained, was it, was it uh, let me get the exact stats, 39 carries to great success. And um, you figured that because the Baltimore Ravens' identity has Is, always been in the running game, right? that they would see this. By the way, it's 39 carries for 182 yards. 39 for 182. How many of those carries were uh, Josh Allen? Just uh, out of curiosity's sake. Because the Ravens had six running back carries total, three of which came in the first five minutes when they were up 7 nothing. Yeah. Um that was the thing. Six designed runs. Yeah. Six designed runs to running backs for the Ravens yesterday. And by the way... I'm not even sure that they did many design runs for Lamar, which was my biggest criticism of, hey, his legs are his weapon too. you got to design run him on delays, well, draws, zone reads. Get him out there and let him do his thing. Yes. As much as the Bills' best play is Josh Allen tucking it under and running, so too is it for the Ravens. Right. And so you had the – by the way, of those six runs, it wasn't like they, were, they weren't having success with it either. They were having success with it in those few runs So with the running back. So you wonder, like, what, what was their deal? Um, was Lamar Jackson also, – also with Lamar, you point out there were – you know, he had a reticence, it seemed like, to running the football yesterday too. When he could have, it was almost like he chose not to. And in games, other games where he's particularly elusive, it appeared like it appeared yesterday that any any guy that touched him, he sort of fell down. I also thought it was interesting that on the Lamar to Lamar catch, where the ball was deflected in the air, 
there was a split second where you thought Lamar might be able to break it. I know. That didn't happen. That, that would have been and, the, and the greatest one, highlight yeah. ever had he gone to the house. Oh, that would have been unbelievable. And the other one, which I think I in the moment I thought was really strange was, do you remember there was a fourth and one uh, at their own 34 early in the game when they were down seven to nothing, and they decided to go for it, and Lamar broke free for 21 yards. But I couldn't believe that Legereus Sneed caught him so quickly. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. So odd. It really was. Here are the rushing totals by running back. So taking Lamar out of the mix, these are the carry totals for the Ravens walking backwards from their six they had on Sunday. 31, 17, 25, 19, 30, 15, 22, 21. There's not another single digit number of the whole set of the entire season and playoffs. Incredible. And that's why when you ask the question today, like, okay, who who should feel worse, Baltimore or Detroit with their losses yesterday? I say it's resoundingly Baltimore because Detroit will be upset, no question. It was there for them. Yeah. But, you know, in a couple of days, Detroit will be like, well, we still got our quarterback and our coach and sure there are questions about all, but we definitely have elite skill position players. We've got a great future, one would, one would think. Baltimore, I don't know what you convince yourself of now. I don't know either because – you know, when you get when the mountain gets the steepest at the top where the air is the thinnest, you need a quarterback who can pass. I mean, really pass like Mahomes did 11 for 11 out of the gate. This guy's open. That guy's open. Tick, tack, toe. We are carving you up. The position is still at its heart a passing position, and he's pretty good as a passer, getting better. But at the highest, steepest part of the mountain, he ain't there yet. That's a hard did, truth. Did you almost feel like, and this is getting obviously a little more uh, sort of subjective, but did you almost feel like Lamar Jackson was hell-bent on proving to you yeah. that he could win this through the air? Yeah, because when you're back there for a time, seven, eight, nine seconds, and you still don't find anything you like, yeah. that's crazy. Someone shakes free no matter who's guarding him. Zone or man after nine seconds. Somebody's breaking open. You have to have the confidence to see it and deliver the ball in there, and I don't think Lamar had it. By the way, even the big play to Zay Flowers, where Zay Flowers ruined by taunting, um, <laughs> even that ball was underthrown, right? If he throws that yeah. perfectly, it's a different outcome. Yeah. You know. It's a, it's a tough one if you're a Ravens fan. I've got a couple who are. I don't have the heart yet to reach out to them. But I'm gonna have to get a get a wellness check on on them. I and I know one of them is uh, very much a matter of fact. Well, you know, Lamar's great, but he'll let us down when it matters the most. He's been saying this all summer long, playing golf with him, and I'm like, come on, Kyle, don't be so negative, man. And he's just been steadfast, going, well, that's that's how it is. So he is gonna totally rub it in my face when I do reach out to him. <laughs> He, he nailed it. He, he it. did oh. nail it. All right, so the other game, Lions and the Niners. Yesterday oh, yeah. on this pod, I went through what I thought, what I looked at as the strategic benefits versus potential negative outcomes for going for it, acknowledging the fact that they fucked up 17 different ways aside from those two calls. And my basic feeling was this. You're trading a three for a maybe seven or an easier three, which doesn't really matter because pro kickers make it in the 40s all the time. 
even uh, uh, the, the the money badger who is coming off injury is pretty good from 40 to 49, according to his history. So why trade a three for a maybe seven when you're at the 20, 28, 30-yard line when there's still more plays to come and you're not in the end zone yet and the game is starting to dwindle down and you could go up three scores when there might only be four possessions left for the Niners? I didn't like it from a numerical point, but I didn't go crazy at the time of the first one. The second one I thought was completely nuts and I can't defend it on any level. What's interesting is that the most defensible go for it was the first one that Campbell chose not to at the end of the half because converting it, Gill, would have been a sure seven. They were at the four. And so there and, and also there was more runway, as I call it, more game time left on the other side of that decision. So you have more time to make up for it. The shorter the runway gets is when you got to really think long and hard of how much do I want to risk here? So the weird part is the first one, he had the right thinking, in my opinion. The next two were even less smart to go for, yet he did anyway. But then again, that's what he does. And that's what he did. And now they're going to live with it. What did you think, Gil? Because you're a numbers guy, far smarter than I am. Did you approve, disapprove? Where'd you fall? Well, here's, here's how I couch it this morning on the radio side. I said, let's, let's start with the most objective of all these. In other words, the least debatable. To me, the least debatable thing was what happened at the end of the game, last minute, third and goal at the one, where Dan Campbell and the Lions Runs. had all three of their timeouts, and yeah. they're down 10. Yeah. To call a running play there, <laughs> the risk-reward assessment yes. was off the charts poor. Right. How much and time the, was left on that running play? Was there over a minute? I think it was just under a minute. Don't hold me to that, but I think it was right around there. Okay. Right. Okay. But, continue. But the the point being that if you don't get in the end zone, you are forced to burn one of your three timeouts, which at that point in the game, down two scores, is the single most important thing that you have because we all know that recovering an onside kick is minuscule. The percentage chances are minuscule. Do you know I what the number say- is? I heard uh, Feely quote it. Uh, Jay Feely, who's stealing the paycheck from CBS, had one good thing during the broadcast. Uh, <laughs> Ravens and Chiefs, he said the numbers this year, 4%. 4. 4%. Yeah. Last year it was, and I'll get the exact number here for you. Last year it was um, five. Oh, I had this earlier in the day. It Last year it was five of... Oh boy! It was last year. It was just above five percent. Okay. Five, just a tick above five percent. This year it was less. Yeah, it, this year is less. So right. Yes. So they they ruined. You know, Goodell ruins a lot of things. The onside kick they ruined as well because oh, it's too dangerous. So we can't let everyone gang up on one side. We got to have this rule, that rule. Fuck all that. Onside kicks. You and I are old enough to know. Used to be oh, yeah. electric factory. It was like here comes ten dudes barreling at you. Good luck, yeah. hands team. Yeah, for the for for those who who missed it, the the onside rule change from several years back was not only that you must now have five guys on each side of the kicker, but also you couldn't take a running start. Right? Oh, right, I forgot that. Yeah, you can't take a running start. Ten guys running start, all one side. That's how it used to be, <laughs> and it was crazy. Now, even still, the recovery percentage on the old school kick was probably what no better than ten percent. No, it was higher than that. Was it really? Actually. Yeah, it was higher than that. I, I think I saw twenty one percent. Shit. Which seemed high. 
That's that's incredible right there. See, kids, that's why he hosts a numbers game on VEASAN in Vegas. He is Mr. Numbers. Okay, so yeah. So you're right. So what, what, what these coaches, and Campbell is just one of many, still don't get is that second half timeouts are time coupons. They are not to be used if you're smart for anything other than redeeming a precious extra 40 seconds of game time when you need it the most. And so therefore, when you choose to run, you're trading 40 seconds in that you don't have and can't afford. Because when you have all three in your pocket, you can force what I call a null possession of sorts by the other team when you're trailing where they have to either run it three times and force you to burn them or throw it and maybe even incomplete one and then give you an extra timeout. You're talking about a 15-second possession if they run, 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 timeout, timeout, timeout versus a minute 40. So that's the difference between three timeouts and none, and every one timeout is a 40-second time coupon. These coaches burn them because, oh, I didn't like the look, or we need to talk about this play, or, God, we were going to get a five-yard penalty. We can't have that. It's the first series of the third quarter. Who fucking cares? Yes, you you said it beautifully. And and so when David Montgomery was stuffed for a two-yard loss and the Lions were forced to use their first timeout, it almost didn't matter. It did to the point spread, but it almost didn't matter for actual wins and losses what they did on fourth down. Yes, they got the touchdown, and that affected the point spread. But at that point, it was still onside kick prayer. Right. And because you couldn't stop the clock three times, and the Niners were able to, to just snap it out. And so that was objectively the worst thing that Dan Campbell, and by the way, maybe also Ben Johnson, right? That was maybe him, maybe that stemmed from him, and Dan Campbell didn't do the oversight, by the way, future Commodores coach Ben Johnson, I think we uh, have all decided. Commodores or Commanders, buddy? uh, I don't know. Anything I can do to not 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 call it. I know. Yeah. Right. Um, So so so, in other words, they, they could have, even if they didn't recover the onside kick, Force the Niners into a run, 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 timeout, 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 15 second or thereabouts possession. And they would mm-hmm. have to punt around midfield with about 40 seconds left in the game, I'm guessing. 45, 50, somewhere in there, right? I mean, 40. shit, when what you're only 40? down three, 45 seconds to get to the plus 40 to have a shot in hell at tying the game, that's not a bad position. That's not a bad ticket to hold. But they blew it when they ran it on and second and down. Even if it, yeah, and even if it's incomplete on third down, you kick the field goal on fourth, you'd be down seven, but the same scenario where you still could stop the clock. So okay. that was... Right. So that was the most egregious. What did you think about going for it on fourth down? Get to the fourth down okay. calls and what you thought. So now we get into the now we get into the more subjective, but I'll tell you what I thought, which is that... Uh, well, well, let's take... Let's, by the way, there was one in the first half, which we don't really talk about, which was... When the Niners were up, excuse me, when the Lions were up 14 to 7, yeah. early second quarter, you'll you may remember there was a fourth and six at the San Francisco 46. And if you're a Niners fan or a Niners better at that point, you were thrilled <laughs> when Dan Campbell brought out the punt unit. That's so interesting. That first, yeah, I did yeah, not that, remember that one. Okay. That now it didn't mount anything because then Purdy threw the pick that was, you know, that Malcolm Rodriguez got in Detroit, ended up going up 21 to 7. But that was the first time in the game where you're like, oh, that was interesting. Okay. Then the end of the first half, it's 21 to 7. Remember, the Lions had converted the third and 12 where Gibbs just, you know, 
casually gets 13, then a third and 18, the St. Brown for 23, then a third and seven for nine. They end up with fourth and goal at the three, up up 14, and Dan Campbell elects to have Badgley kick the 21-yard field goal to go up three scores. I thought that that was the proper move because two scores to three scores still matters. So I, I did. I thought that was I did, did too. I no, I did. I thought oh, that was. Did. I thought that was the proper call in a championship game where you look like you've got the better team on the field. Don't yep. turn your nose up at three, even though it's tempting. That's right. So we are in agreement on that. Okay. So the third quarter starts. The Niners go down. Moody gets a forty-three yard field goal. It's twenty-four to ten. Next possession. Lions get to fourth and two at the San Francisco twenty-eight. They're up 14 again, just like they were at the end of the first half. This time, with around the seven minutes left mark of the third quarter. 658. 658, thank you. Goff, incomplete, intended for Reynolds. Right. Now, I thought that he should have kicked the field goal. Because, again, you're going up three scores. Right. There's, you know, 658 left in the third quarter. You've got to go up three scores. Now, I'm telling you honestly what I thought in the moment. I'm not playing the result here. Well, so, that's another problem I had when when Greg Olson says, you know, you can't criticize it just because it didn't work out. The fuck you can't. Like, that is completely <laughs> illogical because that's like saying, well, any strategy is a good one as long as it works out. But a yeah. one in 100 strategy will work out one in a hundred. On average, it doesn't make it a good strategy. So drop that nonsense right there. I agreed. I would have kicked it. I wasn't jumping off my couch screaming, but one eyebrow went up to go, hmm. I think what I people think you, underestimate so you, you what, and, Yeah, what people underestimate is 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 how quickly the make percentage declines on fourth and one versus fourth and two. Yeah. Versus what this was a, a meaty two. It was like two and a half as I looked at it. So it was not insignificant. You don't have the Eagles and the tush push play. That's a huge difference right there. If it's fourth and a sandwich, fucking sneak it and get it and keep her going. But you had to pass. He had to pass on both of those fourth down plays or they chose to pass. That right there kind of tells you it was a suboptimal risk, my opinion. Agree. Now, Here's the one that didn't bother me as much as running the football with a minute left. The but last was one. The worst of the fourths. Okay. So the Niners at this point have taken the lead. 27 24. 27 um, and, and remember to get to make it 27 to 24, remember the Niners had been driving. The Niners, this was a furious comeback where the Niners had erased a 17 point deficit in 12 minutes. And then they got the ball again. They're going, they're matriculating the ball down the field. But then that helmet to helmet on Purdy doesn't yeah. get called. And so they're forced to have the Moody field goal, to settle for the Moody field goal. And I thought as a Niners, as a guy who had a Niners bet, by the way, betting is the best truth serum is all because you can never fake. <laughs> yes. right? You can never fake what you really want. You're to watching every call, every play, every inbound. You're like, you're scrutinizing it. Yeah, you're right. Yes. So the so the Lions get the ball back. They're down three. Goff to Williams for 22 to start it off. Could have been picked by Ambry Thomas, but it wasn't. Then to Montgomery for 16. Four plays later, they end up fourth and three at the San Francisco 37-38 to go. Now, I'm already like, because that helmet-to-helmet wasn't called, 
I thought this amazing Niners momentum had kind of been stemmed. And so I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, Campbell's got to tie this game up because that will make all of their sphincters tighten again. Talking about the Niners. But instead, he decides to go for it, which again, if you make it, that's wonderful for you. But if you miss it, oh my God, have you let me off the hook? And of course, he was pressured. He flushed out to the right, incomplete intended for St. Brown. Had no chance of being completed, by the way. And I'll tell you, my producer, Kelly, sent me a text right at that moment. Uh, Am I allowed to curse on this? He goes, Dan Campbell, you beautiful son of a bitch. (laughs) Wait, that's not cursing son of a bitch. Oh, sorry. I use that all the time. So wait, so it sounded like you were about to ramp up a defense of going for it on that one. Instead, you you also say that was wrong. So you and I are in alignment that uh, both decisions were were strategically suboptimal. They weren't the reason they lost the game. They had multiple plays that could have helped them out. I mean, the Jameer Gibbs fumble was an absolute crusher right oh. after that play. And the the, yeah. uh, the bing-bong ball off the face mask of Vildor was another one that you're like, did that just happen? By the way, do you think they said there is no penalty on the play for P.I.? Do you think they did that only because the pass was completed anyway? Sure felt that way, didn't it? Right, like inquiring minds would want to know, had Vildor not had it go off his face, would the Niners have been bailed out by a P.I.? Because I thought it was pretty equal hand fighting between the two. I did too, but when that flag was on the ground, I was convinced it was going to go the Niners' way anyway. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was as well. Um, But yeah, so these are all just sort of things that – you know, you could do it one way, you could do it the other. My general rule on going for it is appreciate the fact that numbers go down sharply after fourth and one, big time, that's harder and harder. If you can't reliably, confidently run for a fourth and short, it's riskier than you think, okay? That's number one. Number two is that when you go for it on fourth down, making it better have a really good prize, as in, hey, you now get to take three knees and the game is over. Or, hey, you're deep inside their other team's territory and you're about to score a touchdown. And so if the prize is not really, really good, you you need to think hard. And then also consider the benefits of kicking the field goal and taking the points, which I don't think Dan Campbell properly did. But I'm still Campbell positive. I like him. I'm crushed for him. I'm crushed for the Lions fans I know. Um I have been Niners positive as a casual, except for they beat my Packers, so I'm still not over that. And I kind of think Purdy's got a horseshoe up his ass, even though I like Purdy. I'm Purdy positive. (laughs) I I like Purdy. I like his story. I think he's good. He's good plus. I don't know if he's great, capital G great. We shall see. But God damn, he's been pretty lucky lately. Well, the the horseshoe up his ass is is very true when it comes to the – the interceptions that should have happened, right? He, he There's does like have five this. of them in the oh. last two games. But you know, he had this last year too. People forget in that amazing run that's, where they didn't lose a game. Yeah, he, it happened a lot too that's, last year. That is true. I, I've always said they should keep a BIP stat, balls in peril. And I believe oh, Football know. Outsiders keeps that called interceptable passes. But yeah, I'd call football. them BIPs. Is a ball in peril because some quarterbacks like Mahomes, they seemingly never 
put a ball in peril. That is it at risk of you getting picked off. Purdy does it all the time and people drop him. These DBs, Gil, in the NFL, Jesus, they are DBs for a reason. <laughs> no hands. That's why they play quarterback. No hands, no instincts. It's so funny. Oh, the, uh, yeah, Nick Bolton had one. We call It's so funny you have an acronym for him on my podcast, on Beauty the Book. Uh, we have one. It's called Itch, Interceptions That Should Have Happened. Oh, right. that's great. Yeah. Interceptions That Should Have Happened. Ish. Itch. Itch. And, uh, Itch. You're right. Pro Football Focus has it as turnover-worthy plays, they call it. Oh, that's right. TWO. Yeah. TWP. Twips. Yeah. Here, here's my question for you. This is this is more of a historical lens. Have, so, by the way, have you heard of uh, taints? Taints, yes. That's I think that's a Bill Simmons one. Touchdowns after interceptions. Yeah, he tried <laughs> desperately to get that across. That didn't work. Out. Have you heard of crumbles? Oh no, what's that? Worst play in football: kick return fumble. <laughs> it's the worst play because the other team just scored. They're giving you the ball back, and you say, Haha, nah, you have it back right again, usually near our goal line. Idiot. The crumble. I always think of the old uh, Eddie Murphy sketch when he was on Saturday Night Live, and he's dressed up in white makeup, and the whole, the whole conceit of the sketch is that uh, white people give everything free to other white people. And so it's like, go ahead, take the paper. Yeah, That's go ahead. Sure, right. Yeah. You're part of the yeah. club. Uh, how about how about Koobs? Kickoffs Koob. out of bounds. Koobs. Oh wow! It's like ah shit. Our guy made our guy did a koob. Um, <laughs> do you, you, baseball. This was told to me by a writer for USA Today. Uh, toot Blan. Ever heard of a Toot Blan? No. Thrown out on the base paths like a nincompoop. Oh, Toot stop it. Bland. Yes. Like whenever there was a play in which it was just dumb base running and the guy gets thrown out, oh, there's a toot plan for you right there. Thrown out of the you're base from, pass like an idiot. You're familiar with the loogie. In yeah, I love the loogie. But the new rules kind of made the loogie obsolete. Yeah. The left-handed one-out guy, loogie. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone the way of the uh, Edsel. <sighs> so be it. So anyway, I'll uh, – I'll root for the Niners. I'll bet on the Chiefs, which is a weird split because it's hard to root against your money. But I'll be in the Super Bowl for a very modest amount uh, for sure. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm I not anti-Niner. I like the players. They're dynamic, fun players to watch. I'm sick of the Chiefs. Um, but oh, I would not. A little Chiefs fatigue. Yeah, well, they're too fucking good. That's what I hate. <laughs> it's nothing personal. They're too good. <laughs> By the way, here's my prediction. I bet I have a feeling this is going to be a pick 'em at kickoff. It wow, it'll it'll go all the way from two and a half to kick to pick 'em. Which, which I don't think we've ever had a pick 'em Super Bowl. In fact, we've, we've had a <laughs> there you go. We've had a bunch of uh, minus ones, but I don't think we've ever had a pick 'em. By the way, from a from a pro better standpoint, having a spread that is as close to a pick 'em, if not a pick 'em, is bad because. It makes it easier for bookmakers to price all of the derivative props. Oh, so that sucks. 
cool. All right. Well, for more on this for the next two weeks, definitely tune in. Uh, put VSIN on your presets, YouTube TV, iHeartRadio, DraftKings Network as well, and listen to uh, Gil's podcast, Beating the Book, wherever you get your podcasts. You've been too kind with your time. I've kept you twice as long as I promised, and I made you hold the phone to your ear like some sort of uh, Luddite, but it was for quality <laughs> sound purposes only, and I appreciate it. Gil, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks. Thank you, sir. All right, see you. And that's it for me today. Thank you for listening. Have yourself a wonderful Tuesday, and we will see you next time. Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas with your neon flashing and the one-armed bandits crashing all those holes down the drain. Just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come latelys. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules, you name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money, but if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, fine. You can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today.